The following lecture was delivered at the 14th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Washington, D.C., a project of the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Simon Jacobson now presents his lecture on Shabbat, We All Rest. So we'll do this session a little differently than others, um, being that we're about to enter Shabbat. And those of you who already heard me a few times, you know, the last thing I want to do is uh, a conformist type of Shabbat, a mechanical Shabbat that people just go through by rote. And we do the same thing every week again and again. And we eat uh, the same uh, foods. I don't mean the exact same food. Same recipes. And we fall asleep at the same place and all of that. This is all something I grew up with, so I've done everything possible to try to change it. So maybe we can do that together. And it'll be maybe a memorable Shabbat, like one that's never been before in history. How's that? So we're shooting for a high uh, standard here. I remember I was invited to a uh, program it was a week retreat in England, central England. Some of you may have heard of Limud. Yeah. So the Friday late afternoon session right now, approximately now, was a panel of myself, a uh, um, middle, a medieval um, scholar in uh, Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff like that, and a reform rabbi from New York. And we were asked to answer the following question. If you were isolated and lost on an island with no hope to make it home, and you're stuck on an island, what three items, and these can be texts, it can be anything, would you want to have with yourself for it to survive? It was a good uh, challenge. So I prepared three texts, one from the Torah, the written Torah, one from the Talmud, and something from Tanya. That was my thing. My colleagues, one prepared something from Moby Dick, uh, a text from, I'm trying to remember, I think, uh, Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead. And the third thing was some other contemporary, uh, maybe John Lennon. And um, the Israeli, she was a scholar on middle, so she brought some, uh, some fragment from the Dead Sea Scrolls and another text I don't recall, a poem of like 12th century poet. And we went in that order. First I started with my text, he started with his and so on. And I really felt I'm not going to go through the details. It's a big crowd because it was like the opening session. So we had like maybe 800 people. And I, you know, whenever I see that, I say, you know, there are people here who this may affect the rest of the way they look at Shabbos and our Judaism and so on. And after we went to the, our second text, I just felt inside of me, this is too dry. It's so technical. Not just the others, I felt myself as well. You know, I'm just pontificating about some text and how this text is helping me on this island. So I decided, you know what, this the best thing you do is you throw out your script and you try to do something spontaneous. So came my third turn, the third, my third item. 
I said, it's a song. It's a song I brought with me to this island, to this lonely island that I sing whenever I need hope and strength and optimism to be able to believe that I'll one day be free from this uh, existential loneliness. And I began to sing. And uh, I can't tell you what happened. I can, I'm gonna try. It was just impossible to describe. The place, it was like electrifying. Because first of all, the contrast, these dry texts, everyone being philosophical, a song is a song. And between us, it's my secret weapon. I always use it when all else fails. Because I remember what the Alter Rebbe said, that um, when you're asked a question and you don't have an answer, you tell a story. And if that doesn't work, you sing a song. So, uh, so I used my uh, the final <laughs> option, the nuclear option. And I'm going to sing this song now for you, if you like, with your permission, that is. And it was called Shamil. It's a song that the Rebbe taught in the year 1958, Simchas For 10 years, the Rebbe would teach a song, you know, what time? Five o'clock in the morning after a whole night of dancing at a coffers. I wasn't there. I was a little kid, but it could be Rabbi Yitzchok, may have been, right? They say it was some amazing sight. Remember, five o'clock in the morning, the Rebbe's standing on a table and giving l'chaim to anyone who's gonna learn extra chassidus that year after a whole night of dancing and then tell a story and sing a song. And that year, 1958, I was just born practically. Uh, well, how old were we? Five or five was one of my classmates. We were a year and a half years old. A year and a half. And I, and I told the story that the Rebbe said and I'll tell it to you when I was well. He shared, he said, Shamil was a uh, band leader, not a music band leader. A group of, of like wild, uh, wild uh, bohemians, okay? And they lived in the Caucasian mountains, somewhere near Chechnya. True story. And Shamil was their leader. And they were like free spirits. But they were a nuisance to everybody living down. They lived in the mountains. They, anyone living in the valley. They were like, they, you know, they would carry on all night. And they would steal the sheep and whatever it was. So finally, the townspeople said, you know, we got to put a stop to this. But we can't go to battle with them because they have the high ground. So they developed a ruse. They said to Shamil, let's sit down and talk. He should have realized, you know, he's not a man that talks, but they wanted to talk. So he talked and they arrested him and they put him into a labor camp. And this labor camp, he hummed this melody, or you could say this chant. And a chassid heard it and brought it back to the world of chassidim. And it became, the Rebbe taught this song in 1958. And the song, the Rebbe said, has three sections to it. The first section is one of nostalgia, remembering, Shamil remembering the days of old when he was soaring in the mountains and free, a free spirit. The second part of the song is somewhat melancholy because it's now he's now in chains in a labor camp. And the third part of the song is the hope and optimism that one day he'll be free again and will soar. And the Rebbe said this is a, a metaphor for all of us. The soul comes down to this earth. The soul itself is an unbridled, free-spirited, spreads its wings and soars. But then it comes down to the labor camp of this world, the material world. We have to deal with the challenges of life and survival and health and parnosa livelihood and issues. Everybody's got issues. It's not what the Rebbe said. I'm just uh, giving you the modern version of it. So the first part of the song is remembering the soul. The second part is the sadness sometimes that we feel, the existential loneliness. 
That's how I connected it with the island. And the third part is the hope that we all have that we will, it's not our destiny, we will be free again. And this time our soul and body together will soar the coming of Mashiach, our personal redemption in every way that we uh, grow and uh, transcend. So here's how the song goes. And if you know it, you can chant along. If you don't, you can just listen. So Shamil. <clears throat> that's the nostalgia. That's the melancholy. And now. So I sang the song, and I said, since we're going into Shabbos, Shabbos is associated with song, and Shabbos is exactly that. It's after six days of a week in a labor camp, sometimes a little easier, sometimes harder. We go to a place where we, our souls soar and our bodies soar, which I'm sure they'll have a good meal for us. And it's a uh, soaring spiritual experience. Anyway, the room was, it was quite amazing to see, but it was the song. It was the song. And let me tell you what happened. Then the other two went with their text, the Moby Dick, or I forgot who it was, Bob Dylan or whatever. And um, <clears throat> we finished questions from the audience. It's the end of the session already. We're about to go light candles. So a woman raises her hand. I have, a, I have a, not a question, a request. Okay, first we'll take questions. So they go to another person. I also have a request, not a question. And a third person. Nobody was asking any questions. It's all requests. So what's your request that Rabbi Jacobson sing the song again? I kid you not. It was like, so I sang it again. Because of time limits, I don't know if I'll do that right now. We can sing later by the meal. The power of song is really the power of Shabbos. We all know that when you speak, even if you're a great speaker and you tell good jokes and anecdotes and stories and touching stories, a song is a whole different story. A song is, uh, touches a part in us that transports us to another time and place. It has a message. Children respond to song. You don't need to be intelligent. You don't even need to know the language. Language, if I speak in English, you don't know English. You don't understand. Two people speak at the same time. You can't have a, you can't have a conversation or a speech. A song, we can all sing together. 
They have even statistics that show that children, little children in their mother's womb, respond to a song. They move to the beat. And researchers are all wondering how. Language is also quite a miracle. But language, at least you can say you're copying your parents. But how does the child and the fetus in a womb know what a song is like? Where they hear song? But I'll tell you the answer. We have the answer. The Jewish mystics write. Because song is the language of the soul. That's how a soul travels. If you ask how a body travels, we all know we have legs. If we need to travel quicker, we have vehicles. We have unicycles and bicycles and tricycles and automobiles and ships and boats and helicopters and planes and the, the, the works. You can have someone who has notched up, choked up billions of frequent flyer miles, but their soul has not even moved an inch. So the question is, how does a soul move? So the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman writes, a soul moves through a song. You ever hear of the 15 Shir Hamailas we have in the book of Psalms? Why are they called Shir Hamailas? The song of the steps, of the ascents? Because in the time of the temple, there were 15 steps in the temple, and you could only go up from one step to the next unless you, without, you couldn't go up from one step to the next without singing a song. And the Levites would compose 15 songs for each step. So the only entry is not a ticket, it's not money, it's a song. You want to travel spiritually? It's not about physically moving, you need a song. Song moves you. So as I said, you could have your body moving everywhere, but the soul has not been touched. And I have seen Hasidim who under a talis on Shabbos were praying for six hours not moving, but their soul traveled millions if not billions of miles. So a song is about soul travel, basically. And that's what it captures. I remember I was invited. It was before Rosh Hashanah. Um, I don't remember what year it was. In New York, in Crown Heights, there's the Jewish Children's Museum on Kingston Eastern Parkway. So because they get government grants and funding, so they have to have these cultural exchanges, which means they have times where people visit from different cultures, different countries. And uh, one day I get a call from Rabbi Benjaminson. He's the the head of the Tzivus Hashem, the children's organization, the museum. We, I need you to come share a few words. We're having a group of 30 Sri Lankan monks. 30 Sri Lankan monks. And uh, I think you could maybe convey a message. I didn't understand why he thought, I'm, I, I said, I'm, I'm not from Sri Lanka, nor am I a monk. He says, yeah, but uh, you, you're a weird guy. You probably know how to figure out how to speak to these guys, you know. <laughs> Okay, so I come, and yes, they are in orange robes, you know, basic Buddhists. And uh, we went into the, like they have a, uh, a viewing room. It's like a, a film, like a, uh, a, 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 where they show films, what it would be called. A theater, right, there you go. Very rare words, theater. So there I am, I'm sitting there, and I begin to speak. And I decided I'll share with them some spiritual thought, since Rosh Hashanah is coming, how God energizes existence every moment anew, and the reality is not the physical world, but the spiritual energy pulsating within. And they are sitting there, and I have to tell you as a speaker, you feed off the audience. People laugh at the joke, they cry at a sad story, they smile, something. Here they're sitting like stone walls, and that's how they're trained. So they don't respond, they just listen, which I knew. But it was very disconcerting uh, for me because I had no idea, did, am I getting through? Do they know what Completely different than Jewish audiences. Jewish audiences, I can tell you right away. 
here's how it goes. First thing is to say, ah, that job, I heard it already. You hear someone like that say, ah, you know, or uh, people are constantly reacting. You like it, you don't like it. I know right away, you know, laughter, no laughter. People don't like you, they may let you know. Say, completely disagree with him, you know. So here they're sitting in this quiet. So I, I, I know for my own ego, maybe I was, whatever it was, I decided I got to pierce this uh, this wall, this curtain. So what did I do? Back to my secret weapon. I sang a song. I sang a Yom Kippur song this time. This, I'm, also, I'm gonna sing that one too. I'm in a singing mood just for the record and I need to get it out of my system. So you have to bear with me. So I sang a song and uh, I'll sing it later when we conclude. And their faces changed. They, I could see their faces melted. It's a song no one ever sang to Sri Lankan monks, that I can assure you. <clears throat> so I also felt I was like making history, you know, breaking new ground. And uh, you know where Sri Lanka is, by the way? It's to be an island off of India called Seyan, I think it was, and they became Sri Lanka. Whatever. Yeah. So, uh, and afterwards I asked them, I said, you like the song? Yeah, beautiful. I said, what about my words? They said, it was excellent. So I said, why when I spoke, did you not make any reaction? no reactions when I said, they said, we're trained to listen. I said, we're not like Americans that are always arguing with everything. But the master speaks, you listen. And you don't, uh, you don't react, you just absorb. And what about the song? We couldn't control ourselves. So I said, ah, good. The power of a Hasidic melody. Now I say this all not just to share nice uh, stories and anecdotes, I mentioned at the outset, every Shabbos is a new Shabbos. We're now 5,779 years. I didn't make the calculation. How many Shabbos would that be? Times 52, anybody, an actuary here that can give me the number? What do you get, something like what? A lot, okay. And every Shabbos is different because God would never send two Shabboses. So how do you make it different? We live in a world with so much monotony, routines, habits, and it's one of the traps. People say, I'm bored, I'm bored. I'm always looking for new rush. How, many, how much trouble do we get into because we're bored? There's a vacuum, a void. So we start looking for all kinds of things, some high. But if you were able to tap in to the renewable and regenerative and powerful new energy every Shabbos, every moment for that matter, but at least Shabbos, it would be the solution to all our challenges. There you have it. You want something new? Here's a Shabbos, it's coming. So how do you tap into that? And I sang the song for this reason, because song helps us tap into it, because the song is never boring. Words, another Torah, I heard another Dvar Torah, another joke, another story. But a song touches the soul, because that's where it is. We, are, we usually live on the body level. And a body level, the body is a pretty routine-like thing. You know, our body breathes and heart beats. It goes through its mechanics. If we were just bodies without souls, we basically would be inanimate entities that are in some way exist and survive, but there wouldn't be that passion. There wouldn't be the dynamic energy that makes somebody, you know, you hear people say, how are you doing? I feel like a zombie, like a walking dead. I'm alive, biologically alive, but I'm not spiritually alive. How do you ignite that passion? You know how many books are sold on this title alone? Reignite the passion of your life. And Shabbos has the answer, but you have to be in the mindset because if you go with the mindset of the weekdays, you're gonna get the same thing. Like they say, insanity is uh, doing the same thing and getting 
and expecting different results. So people say, Shabbos come, nothing happened. What did you do? It's how you enter. You have to bring something into it to be able to experience it. So how do we get from so-called a more body survival mode into a more spiritual, soulful mode, which is basically the mode of the weekdays is more body-oriented, materialistic, involved in survival, making a living. Maybe the JLI retreat is a little different here. You feel like a little like uh, above time and space, but we know what the weekdays are like. And Shabbos takes us to another new place. That's the way you tap into it. So how do you tap into that soulfulness and soul? Something I always feel challenged by myself and also in speaking to different people. So in my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, I actually, based on certain teachings of the Rebbe and Hasidus, said, you know what, here's an interesting thing. If someone were to ask you as an exercise to shut your ears, your eyes, your taste, touch, and smell, talking about your five senses, what would happen? So most people initially think, I'll disappear. Because we're so stimulated and hyper-stimulated by our senses. Because most of our lives, most of our moments, what do we do? We're seeing things, we're hearing things, we're smelling things, we're tasting and touching. That's our five primary tools of interacting with the world around us. But think about it. And you can try that right now. Just don't shut your ears or you also won't hear me. Um, you know, actually, if you do that, it'll also be fine. You may hear better things than me. What happens if you shut off your senses? You know what happens? You're left with you. The you that is not affected by the world around you. Because you don't need eyes to see yourself, and you don't need ears to hear yourself, and you don't, you don't need taste, touch, and smell to know that you exist. You need to look in the mirror to know that you exist. You need to look in the mirror to know how you look, how others will see you. So basically, our senses, which are so predominant in our lives and so control our lives, are actually really interfaces with the world around us. So how much time are you ever left with yourself? And the only way you can really experience it if you actually do that. That's why by the Shema, we cover our eyes. It's like in a way of saying, I'm not going to look at the world around me. I want to look inwardly. And when we love each other, when two people meet and love each other, what are you loving? Yes, we may love somebody's beautiful face, someone, someone's, person, someone's uh, body language and so on, but the real thing you love is a personality. It's invisible. Those that, when you get to know somebody, what does it mean to get to know them? You get to know what they look like? That you can see immediately. Or after a few moments, you'll re recognize. But you get to know their spirit. And it's actually hard to put into words and quantify. But that's the process. So in a sense, when we say God rested on Shabbos, what does it mean he rested? He got tired? You know, frankly, if you can't create a world in, uh, in, uh, six, in one day, you can't create one in 600 days. So what does he need six days for? And then he rested? What, what does that mean? The answer is very straightforward, and Hasidah says it this way. S six days is the process of God manifesting and relating to something outside of himself, so to speak, to create a reality of another, another identity, another personality. And Shabbos, Hashem simply goes back to his natural place, where he's not extending, like, like we do. Think of it, when you go out to a party, or you go to work, we all have the faces we wear, the language we speak, and we actually have many masks that we use for different people. Some people we show one mask, and some another mask. And that's not always a bad thing, it's just the way we maneuver. You come home, I'm talking about a home, a healthy home, a, natural, a nurturing home, what do you expect? You can kick off your shoes and just be yourself. 
I don't have to perform. I don't have to masquerade. I don't have to hide. Now, I know many people will say I don't have a place like that. Even my home is not that way. So that's sad, but that's the way it should be. So six days of the week, we're focused on interacting, engaging, building, which is important, which is the purpose of existence. But on Shabbos, we go back home. So when you shut your senses, you essentially experience a Shabbos experience. And I submit that a song touches that place. That's why a song can transcend. No matter what's happening, you sing a song, obviously you need the person's attention, and it suddenly touches a place that usually remains somewhat more undercover. So Shabbos is really connecting to the real you. You ask most people, who are you? And I've asked many people this. Who are you? You know what they do? They give you their business card. If they ha- or they tell you what they do. So I say, but your business card is what you do, not who you are. So those that pick up what that means, they say, one second, you know, but sadly, what I do has become who I am. Think about that for a moment. Who you are should dictate what you do. What you do is, is dictating who you are. And that's because of the needs around us. We need to pay our bills. The demands, expectations, and responsibilities. All of Judaism, all of Torah really wants to teach you who you are, and that should inform what you do. Of course we need to do things in this world. I'm talking about just sitting and doing nothing, which I can't resist the joke about this old Jew sitting on a park bench. and He's all sad and depressed. And his friend comes and says, what are you feeling so bad? He says, my wife is very angry at me. He says, what's new? She's always angry at you. No, this is something special. What happened? This morning, she went to work and she asked me, what am I going to do today? And I told her nothing. So she said, you said that yesterday. So I told her I wasn't finished. (laughs) So I wasn't finished. Everything in the universe, everything, from the seasons to the animals to the vegetation to even our own functioning bodies is always in a mobile, pulsating state. Everything is moving from the summer to the spring to the winter to the spring. I'm sorry, what did I skip? Autumn, winter, spring, etc. Everything is moving. Animals have their cycle. Our heart is beating. A healthy person breathes around 18 times every minute. We don't even know it. And now in this modern age especially, we're looking to master the art of doing nothing the couch potato, basically defying our very nature of mobility. Everybody says, I love the mobility, but a mobile phone. How about you? I'm into sports. Really, which sports? Football, baseball. Yeah, really? How often do you go to play? No, I sit on the couch and watch others play. That's called being into sports. What do they say? You have um, 60,000 people in a stadium needing to lose weight, watching 18 people who don't need to lose weight. That's the story, you know? I don't know if everybody, but you know, get the idea. So this is the art of the body. The body tends to become or can become somewhat lazy and somewhat lethargic. And you know, you start getting older, I'm a little older, I don't have the energy I had when I was 20, 30, 40, 50. When people said that to the Rebbe, the Rebbe said, your age is not determined on your, about your passport, it's determined on your spirit. The Rebbe turned 70 and he was being told that he already achieved so much. Why don't you go retire? Retire? Life and retirement for the Rebbe was antithetical. 
Life is pulsating and moving and mobility. We're telling me to retire is like retire. I know a guy that, a uh, very wealthy man, retired now, he lives in Florida. I visited him once. He plays golf all day and watches television the rest of the time. So I said, you're a smart guy, I understand. Go study, teach, you have so much that you know. And he did, he was a very knowledgeable guy. So he said, he said to me jokingly, he says, I like golf, I'll tell you why. It's preparing me for the transition to the next world. Because a golf course is somewhat like a cemetery. A lot of sprawling grass with holes in the ground. <laughs> that was his joke. I know it's a morbid joke. Maybe it wasn't of color. If you don't like it, don't repeat it. <laughs> Remember, as a speaker, I can tell you, jokes are sometimes you test them. If you don't like you say, you know what, thank you. You didn't laugh. It means it's not a good joke. I won't use it again. This is a good one, but it's, uh, you know. So, yeah. The soul, however, never ages. The soul actually gets more vibrant because you know what it feeds off? Not mortality. It feeds off energy. It feeds off love, compassion, connection. So the older you get, the more connected you should be, the more love you have in your life, the more people around you, more experience. Those that, touch and, that, touch that, that can touch that part of their souls, you look in their eyes, and I saw, we all saw, the Rebbe's sparkling eyes at age 92 standing for seven hours giving out dollars. Try, try it out. Because you're driven by the soul. Can we all achieve that? To some extent. So here we have Shabbos, the gift. A Shabbos that gives us the power to be able to go from a body-like mentality to a soul-like mentality. You're able to do that. You move from the lethargy of materialism to the mobility and flexibility and resilience of spirituality. And a song captures it all. When you have that, every Shabbos is different. Because you don't say Shabbos is just about, okay, I find it actually almost um, grotesque in a way. Shabbos is meant to bring renewal, and then we look at Shabbos, oh, I gotta do exactly, you have the list of things you have to do exactly like you did last week. I understand we all, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have rituals, but the main thing is what am I gonna do this Shabbos table that I never did before? I always tell this to parents who say, my children are bored, they don't wanna come to the Shabbos table. So I said, what's going on at your Shabbos table? They say the same thing, like every Shabbos. Same thing like all the ta Shabbos tables. Why wouldn't, so I say, why would a 16, 17-year-old boy or girl who's looking for some action want to be sitting at a boring table where you, that everything is the same? You know, you say, I did it once. I don't have to do it again. So what should I do? My mother once asked me, I said, you have any, you, you, your husband or you work in the city? Yes. You have any atheists in your office? Yeah. Invite them for Shabbos. Argue with them. Create some dynamic energy. Have a debate. Have an, you know, it's good. Arguments are good. It's energy. Then your children, see, that's exciting. Some entertainment going on. In other words, do things that um, are catalysts for change, for healthy discussion, dialogue. The worst thing human beings, especially young people, is when they see boring stuff, monotony. Oh, the same thing, I've seen it already. I have other things to explore. And that's why Shabbos is so equated with song, because we just have another minute or two. As I said, I'm gonna conclude with uh, Nigan. The Nigan I sang for the Sri Lankan monks. I love that story, by the way, because I just feel like maybe my biggest achievement, I know I never sang this song to them, you know. So this song is a Yom Kippur melody, a beautiful stirring melody, sung Yom Kippur night, uh, many shuls. I grew up with it, I remember in 770 when this song was sung, like 10,000 people singing in unison was awesome. It's called Yala. I'll sing it without the words. 
And there's the song, and this melted the hearts of Sri Lankan monks. Let's see what it does here. You know? <laughs> but you're used to it. Okay, fine. <clears throat> Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and torahcafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.